Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of STT Interviews. This month, I am excited to get the chance to sit down with Dave Kamites, who is a Steadicam operator for 64 episodes and a director for one episode between 1996 and 1999. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you very much to, uh, for having me. This is, um, is kind of like a cool thing out of the blue, a blast from the past. So uh, yeah, happy absolutely. to talk to you. For sure. So let's start right at the very beginning. How did you get your start as a Steadicam operator? Uh, so, um, yeah, I always wanted to be in film. Uh, when I was seven, I saw Star Wars. That's how I got my start as a Steadicam operator. Um, but then it morphed a little bit. Uh, I went to NYU for film school. And while I was there, actually, I did this um, zero, I think, negative budget um, uh, horror movie as an assistant um, called Crawdaddies that my friend Corey Garriak uh, shot. Uh, we were all in NYU and we went to upstate New York and like slept in the mud and it was just glorious. And this incredible guy named Bob Fisk, who I, I still know, um, came out with this contraption that I'd never heard of before uh, that wasn't a Steadicam but worked the same way as a Steadicam. Bob's a little bit of a crazy um, build it at home guy and uh, <laughs> he um, he had built it out of like plastic buckets and, and I think a return mechanism from a VCR and... and paint poles and stuff and it conceptually wow. worked and I was just like that's really cool and then I came out to LA and I ran into someone with a steady cam on a show it was uh, Kirk Gardner on a public service announcement and he let me put it on and I basically said I have to do this and uh, I found out that there were classes took some classes and started ruining people's music videos and <laughs> short films and whatnot till I figured out what to do. So uh, that's kind of how I got into it. But it's, it's, uh, I, I've been extremely lucky in the sense that I found um, something that I love that I guess on some level I, I've been good at, at least to pay the bills. Um, and I've been able to do that and continue to do that. So nice. I, I lucked into it. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming this is probably glossing over a few years, but what uh, what was kind of the sequence of events that led to you getting the job uh, on ER? So the ER job is pretty funny because um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll warn you, I'll go off on 12 tangents, so feel go free to pull it. me we back. Um, uh, when ER came out, I had taken off uh, a couple of months to go do a cross-country bicycle ride to raise money for AIDS. Uh, oh, wow. I've always been interested in fundraising and helping people and whatever and this came up and I did it and we were in Nowheresville USA um, staying in a motorhome that was sort of trailing us at the beginning of the day and the end of the day and there was this medical show that the uh, guy who owned the motorhome had put on and it was coming in and out but you know it's like <laughs> most people listening to this won't understand there was an antenna <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and 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 it would go like you'd be watching the show and then it would sort of go to snow and come back and I remember watching it and watching some shot and going, and I was just barely a steady cam operator going, that's a really amazing steady cam shot. And then it would sort of go out and I'd be staring at it and it would come back in and I'd go, and, oh my God, it's still going. It's like, this is incredible. <laughs> and so when I came back to Civilization, I looked up the show ER and, you know, I had to wait till Thursday night when it was on and watch it. And I was, I mean, Guy B who was doing the show was doing things yeah. that nobody was doing, you know. People were doing them in features, but with weeks of prep, and he was doing them on a daily and hourly basis, and just some of the most amazing work I'd ever seen. And I was just, I was in awe, and I'm still in awe of the stuff that he did. And um, uh, and I, I uh, somehow, and I have no idea how, found out this new thing called an email address that he had. I don't know how <laughs> I could have found that out, but I did. And I emailed him, and I, I, I distinctly remember saying, like, I just wanted to tell you I'm blown away by what you're doing, and it's just amazing. And I remember putting something—I was eating Twizzlers, and I remember putting— um, 
something in it about how I thought that Twizzlers were made from old melted down 45s or something like that. <laughs> and and he apparently thought that was very funny and emailed me back and we just started, con- you know, a conversation and whatever. And, and I was like, I'm nobody and this is this guy doing the greatest work I've ever seen. And then one day he actually said to uh, my good friend Charles Pappert, who's an amazing, st- was an amazing steady cam operator, is now an incredible DP, um, who, whose name will come back later. Um, he invited us to set, and I remember we went by set, and it might have been on Love's Labor Lost, but I'm not sure. And I remember okay. watching this big shot that he did, and both of us were just like <laughs> trying to like push our jaws back <laughs> up. Uh, and then um, cut to guy calling me up and saying, hey, I'm leaving town for a wedding. I'm going to be off on a Friday, and would you be willing to come in and cover me? And I was like, uh, and I think he kind of said to some extent, look, I've pretty much tried everybody I know and nobody's available because uh, uh, it was clear that I was not of that, you know, that caliber. And he said, you know, the DP Richard Thorpe will probably cover the camera work and you'll just do this like two steady cam shots. And I was like, yes. And I went in and I, I did two steady cam shots, which were nothing and was just like, this is unbelievable. And I went home and I was like, my career is made. And then I, did music videos for a couple of years. And then when Guy <laughs> left, um, they, for some reason, called me and said, do you want to come in and do the show? And I was like, yes. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and there you go. So that's, yeah. Like I said, I go off on tangents. But um, Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember the day I got the call. I distinctly remember the day I did my first day. Uh, and I distinctly remember the fact that the first week I didn't really unload all my gear because I assumed I was going to be fired any day because I was... <laughs> nowhere near ready to do that job (laughs) yeah oh my god i can't even imagine gosh to go from like watching the show on tv and not even really being that aware of what it is and then taking over trying to take over that mantle you know from a guy like you said who is i always i always say that he's one of the people who like nobody outside of obviously within your industry but like fans at large may not know his name but he's kind of responsible for a big chunk of why the show has the the look and feel that it does. You know, like he took it from what it was in the very, very beginning of it and kind of made it into this kind of, you know, distinct look that really carried there, throughout the rest of the run. There's no question about that whatsoever. And, and to, 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 to not say that I owe him a, a tremendous debt for creating that, that template that, that I was allowed to step in and ask not to screw up <laughs> um, w- would, be, would be incorrect. Um, I, I do remember, by the way, my first day, uh, it was at Warner Brothers, and I was like, I'm going on a studio. This is amazing. And uh, they didn't have my name at the door. I didn't know enough to ask to go early to download my gear. Um, so I was like 45 minutes late because, of course, I was a 25-year-old kid and everybody was like, you're not the steady cam operator anymore. Like, <laughs> cr- like crying, showing him my, my ID. And I'm sure, I, I think going back with the way most of my life has gone, my name was probably spelled wrong. But anyway, I remember like <laughs> driving in and, and going to the back lot and there's this sort of center, like have you ever, se- ever seen, uh, uh, um, I can't think of the name, but the uh, the what the Gilmore Girls, like they're, they're, it, they use it all the time. There's like this center street there, okay, Midwest, yeah. Miss Midwest Street, I think they call it. But I remember we were in a backyard and the first shot up was a Steadicam stepping off of a platform on the dolly and the platform was too small and it wasn't, and I, my, my gear wasn't built and everybody's wondering why I'm late and I'm just like, I've already screwed this up. And I remember doing it and thinking, this is completely insane and I'm never going to last here. And then they just went on to the next shot and that was it. And it was, you know, it was, it was pretty crazy. It can crazy. only go up from here. 
I, I, I have to say, and I will probably say again, that um, the, the reason that I was able to do what I did on ER was because of Terrence Nightingale, who was my assistant at the time, took over for me when I left and, and is now a Steadicam operator and director in his own right. Um, and, and Terrence really, really made sure that I was protected um, very early on. And he realized that I wasn't up to the task, but I guess maybe somehow hoped that I would get there. And he, he was <laughs> instrumental in, in keeping me safe, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. He's, the, the three of you are kind of like our, our, our holy trinity of camera guys. Like we've already gotten uh, Guy B and we're, we're trying to track down Terrence. So it's I, like, I will get you in touch with Terrence. You will have so much fun with him because he is, he is, he is the definition of the word character. <laughs> yeah, that's what we've heard. Yeah. Um, so how did your kind of, you know, as the years went on, how did your personal learning curve with the Steadicam and the show and the complexity of all the shots kind of evolve over time? Um, you know, the complexity of the shots was we were always trying to push it, of course. And, um, uh, you know, when I got when I got there, my thing was sort of like, shut up and do the work, do what they tell you, do, you know, just and I think that's what I did early on, because I just wanted to sort of not screw it up and not make the show that I had so much respect for um, <laughs> horrible. And, uh, and I, and I did everything I could. And I, you know, as the A camera operator, a lot of people, especially in, in the industry now may not realize, you know, there was one camera on that show. There, was, there wasn't multiple cameras. It was me. And, yeah. you know, there, there was a, if we did a stunt or something, there might be a second camera and there was the Chicago unit, but every day there was one camera operator and you did everything. And so when you're an A camera operator, which is what they call it, A camera steady cam, um, you know, you're running the set. And so when I got there, and that's why I say, you know, I really owe a debt of gratitude to Terrence. I didn't know how to run a set. And he kind of, you know, he, I think he, he stepped in there. Um, and then slowly as I got more used to it and I, I, I got a little more, um, a little more comfortable, I started to become more of the process, uh, you know, to where people started to look to me and listen to me, listen, you know, as far as shots and directors would come in and go, I have this great idea, but what do you think and whatever. And, you know, I, directors would bring me in on weekends to talk through shots. So, so yeah, it just, uh, the, the amazing thing about that show was that I was, I was allowed uh, the ability to become a full-fledged storyteller, um, which mm -hmm. is, and it's where I became a full-fledged storyteller. I shouldn't say full-fledged, I'm still learning. Um, but it, it, it afforded me opportunities that I don't know anybody else having at that time um, to be part of the process and, and to speak up um, when I thought something didn't work and to push things in a direction and to make choices and whatever. Uh, part of which got me into trouble when I left there and realized not everybody, <laughs> everybody works that way. Um, yeah. But, but um, it really was an incredible, yeah, incredible thing. So, you know, we, uh, we, we constantly tried to push it. I think, I think the, the, the point where we sort of like maybe peaked, even even though it worked well, was an episode that Tony Edwards did where he came in and he said, listen, I've got this one act that I want to do in two shots. So an act is basically, you know, 15, 17, 18 minutes or whatever. Sure. He goes, I want, to do, I want to do them in two Steadicam shots with a whip in the middle. Can we do it? And, uh, you know, and we did that. And I remember Tony's in the scene and he, we had this little TV that he would, you know, he could watch on and he had it in his pocket and he would, and then he'd walk around behind me and go watch it until he came back in later in the scene. <laughs> but, um, as I recall, uh, I think it was the first, the first shot was 13 pages long oh my and God. with, with, you know, 
15, 20 characters and five storylines. And the second shot was like nine pages long. And uh, it ended up being like a five minute shot because they talk really fast on the show. Right. And like a four minute shot or something like that, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it was. And we did it. We did it all in one day. We got a quarter of the script in one day. We did one shot before lunch and one shot after lunch. And then I, I think I went to the hospital after that. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. uh, yeah, so we constantly tried to push it. And um, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes it was about being bigger, and sometimes it was just about about you know. I mean, to me, the thing that sort of you know, you, you try to go, let's go longer, let's go more people, let's go bigger and whatever. And then what you realize is what what you end up trying to do is is actually then get smaller. And it's almost like you want to do these shots where, um, you know, nobody knows that it was Steadicam, and that's that right. sort of becomes the challenge. You know, so you're you're constantly trying to change the bar. I guess is is the word. Yeah, we were we were speaking with um, one of the ads um, from around the same time. I think you were there, Robin Bronner. Yeah, um, sure. We, we were speaking with her recently, and um, she was, uh, of course, in charge of all the background people. And she was kind of talking along those same lines of like, you're always wanting to like get more activity and more kind of hustle and bustle in the yeah. background. And then sometimes there are these moments where you have to do less. You know, you yeah. have to pull the focus less away from that because you might miss on something really great in the foreground because there's too much going on in the background. Yeah, and I think I, she's absolutely right. Obviously, I mean, Robin's great, and she's she's not. I think she's still. I think she's a first. Well, I know she's a first AD. I mm-hmm. was just say I think she's still a first AD. I haven't she talked is, to her in yeah. a while, but she's fantastic, and um, uh, she, she's absolutely right. But really, the the through story of all that, I think, is is whatever it is has to serve the storytelling, right? If it gets exactly. in the way of the storytelling, it doesn't make it doesn't. And and there were times looking back where maybe we pushed the shots a little too far. I don't think they ever took away from it, but maybe they weren't serving the master as much as, you know, the other way around. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but that's what, you know, uh, that, that's okay. I, I'm all right with it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to push it sometimes. That's exactly right. I, I will say since you mentioned it, um, background on that show was phenomenal. We had a couple of people who... Um, <clears throat> you know, were sort of executive background. They were there all the time and they were yeah. just the, they were just the clutch people that would you just do, you know, three crosses in a row and, you know, pulling a shirt down so they look like someone else or whatever. But, um, uh, and, and Robin and, and names are going to escape me right now because there were a number of people, Kelly Cantley, who went out of the office. And of course, uh, uh, when I got there, um, Tommy Burns and Babu Subramanian were our first ADs and phenomenal. It's just incredible at, at not only, populating those areas but knowing when when people should get in there and 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 just that i never had to think about any of it and and again Mm -hmm. a situation where when i got into other shows i got into trouble because i was like oh not everybody's this good huh yeah we've sort of heard that from people both uh on camera people and behind the the camera people of like er sort of ruined them on it did everything (laughs) you know you go into other things and you're like oh shit this isn't how it works it it, it is it is the bar there's no question about it and it's across it's just lightning struck there and Mm -hmm. um and and the quality of the people who worked we worked with were just astonishing on every level yeah um that's why that's why it holds such an amazing space oh, yeah, in it's, it's definitely standing yeah. the test of time for sure yeah and it, and it holds up sure yeah so uh, what are some shots mm. kind of as viewers or as the audience that we maybe take for granted that on your end of things are actually kind of quite technically difficult um yeah you know it's funny you sent me some questions ahead of time and i thought something will come to me and damn it if it <laughs> hasn't um I, I can't tell you specific shots um off the top of my head with the exception of one, but I don't know when it was, but um, you know, there's one, one of my favorite shots I ever did in ER that 
the reason that I love it is because it was so technically hard, but it doesn't seem like it to anybody but a Steadicam operator. And it told the story so well. And I don't think most people realized it was even happening almost was it was this uh, this African-American woman whose whose child had died. And I remember it was the first time that we had this very real looking baby that she mm. was going to be, be holding, which we had occasionally, but it was the first time, or, or maybe it was, maybe they just made it better or whatever. But I remember we had to cover it up in between takes because it was flipping everybody out because, you know, it looks like a dead baby and this thing yeah. just looks so real. But the scene is, um, is basically Juliana, uh, she's backing into a, into a nondescript room mm -hmm. and she, uh, she backs in and pushes the door open and I follow her and, um, and uh, she leans down and picks the baby up and gives it to the mother and leans down and says, you know, you take all the time you need. And then she, as she and I've now sort of come around three quarter and I'm facing the two of them. And then as Juliana walks towards me, I just slowly start pulling away and just keep on pulling away uh, for quite some time as this woman is, is looking down and, and, you know, holding her child for the last time. And yeah. uh, and, 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 you know, the, the thing is Steadicam is designed to move basically at the human gate. The arm is designed to take out sort of your walking so right. when you get slower than that, you've got physical problems of just how do I how do I move this slowly but continue moving without sort of starting and stopping. But then you've got the problems of, of keeping the steady cam, you know, smooth. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I to this day I remember I, I, I'm, I it's one of my favorite shots that I've ever done. Even though there's so many other things that physically are harder or technically harder. I had to you know I don't have to remember any cues here or whatever. It all fell into the frame. But I think it it told the story so phenomenally well and was not an easy shot to do. It's one that I'm very happy with. Um, yeah. I mean, there, I actually there, remember that exact scene now that you do you really, Oh my gosh. It. Okay. Yeah. I remember that exact scene. We we've are, I know we've already covered it, so it must be in season. I'm thinking probably four. Cause I think you were there uh, three to five. So yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Four sounds about right. But, um, I can't. I can. I can see every moment of it, but I can't recall what episode it was in, but, yeah. um, you know, and then there are all sorts of big ones. Um, uh, course i can't remember names of episodes right now but sure um, there were great you know great shots that we did that were just a blast uh and um is there a know, particular yeah. one that kind of stands out for you as the most memorable one or uh, you kind of said that was the one you were the most proud of but yeah i look the one with tony edwards was just because of the complexity of it and um, yeah i i will tell you that i remember the storyline is that um uh michael rapaport plays yes. a work a workman who's been like i think he's been He's been hit with with a bunch of chemicals or yeah, something like that. Benzene yeah, benzene or something. Benzene, yeah, or something like that. And uh, and and basically, you know, they they don't want to kind of tell him, but he's gonna die within an hour, and they're trying to get the, his daughter there or something like that. Yeah. Um, and there are obviously other other storylines, but that was the one that that's sort of most memorable. And if you look for the episode of Michael Rapaport, it's I'm pretty sure it's back from second commercial break to third commercial break is is the big sequence of shots. And uh, you know, it was just exciting, obviously, just to be able to, to do something that big and the energy on set is incredible and, you know, um, and there is something great. And I mean, this is what I sort of love about being a steady cam operator, but it's also, it takes its toll as well, uh, <laughs> mentally and otherwise is, you know, everybody has sort of like done their part and put, you know, put their pieces into the bowl. Right. right. And then, and then I'm not going to say I'm the only person obviously, because the actors and, and our boom operators who were phenomenal, um, everybody has to do their part. But like you don't want you, you so they gave you the ball and you don't want to drop the ball, do you exactly, know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and I vaguely remember uh, Steve Robertson, who was a Dolly group I worked with, who just 
uh, insanely good dolly grip and always knew where to put the camera and kept me out of trouble with all the extras when I'm backing up like crazy through those things. He was just a, um, you know, uh, my wife has always asked me like how I can't dance with her and I can dance uh, <laughs> with, with Steve Robertson and other people so well. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing guy. Um, but I remember very well, you know, I don't know, take seven or whatever of that first take. I'm supposed to back up into this corner and uh, or into into a into a hallway and then and then whip the camera and that's the whip to the next shot, and I'm backing up and I remember him pulling me and I'm like no I'm in the wrong place and I'm pushing and he's pulling and I'm pushing and finally I hit the wall and I turned around and he's like I tried to move you, <laughs> but for some reason I wasn't paying attention or whatever so I remember it was and that was the great take right up until then of course and I screwed it up so, you know these things happen it's it is what it is but that's the excitement of it all right. Yeah, for sure. Which kind of leads me perfectly into the next question. Um, you were behind the camera for one of the series' most ambitious episodes, uh, the season four premiere, Ambush, uh, a.k.a. the live episode. <laughs> the live episode, yes. What, what was that experience, or experiences, I should say, since you did two of them? Um, yes. And how did your process have to change to suit the live environment? The live episode was uh, was completely insane, as far as I'm concerned. To the other guys, it was like, oh, we're doing this now. Even <laughs> though to the live guys, um, uh, you know, this was something that had really never been done on this scale before. Yeah. Um, uh, to take you back a little bit, we, you know, George and Tony kept on... Um, kept on joking about the live episode. Well, they're going to do a live episode. And we're all like, yeah, right. You, you know, joke about everything. And, and <laughs> no one's doing a live episode. And, um, and George specifically wanted to do it. Cause I think it like to him, it like harked back to the 1950s TV and all that kind okay. of cool stuff and whatever. I mean, Tony was into it. A lot of people were into it, but I don't think it, you know, I think it was a pipe dream for a while. And keep in mind, because the live episode was the first episode of the season mm-hmm. it, and we started shooting in, I'm going to say July, right, to shoot the episodes. Live episode is episode number one. So we already we had already started shot like episode two, three, four, or five. Okay. I don't know. And then we took a break to do live episode because it has to happen in September, right? So, you know, yeah. we, we, we'd been working for a while. So I'm on stage three. Stage 11 is the main hospital stage. And, and I don't remember exactly, but I hear that they're interviewing camera operators. Oh, so we had sort of heard that the live episode was going to happen. And I had interviewed... This, camera operators now keep in mind um this is my second season mm-hmm. i'm 27 years old i'm on the biggest show in the history of television that's oh known for its steady cam it's distinctly possible that i might have had a big ego i don't recall <laughs> <laughs> um it's just and let's just say i probably did uh and and not an unhealthy one but i think i probably was a little more more sure of myself than i should have been but anyway um and we, we hear that they're bringing in this director, Tommy Shalami, who'd been on the show before, but I had not met. Yeah. Um, and that he's interviewing um, camera operators for the live episode. So I'm on stage three, and I, I, I remember hearing this and going, interviewing for my show? Are you kidding? <laughs> so at lunch, I go over there, and I storm in, and I'm like, what, are you, what is going on? And, I, and I'm sure I was just a complete jackass. Uh, and it was really like, you know, this, you come into my house and, you know, that kind of stuff. I didn't say yeah. that or whatever. But I don't remember quite how it happened. But um, I think Tommy said, all right, you know, give him a chance. And and it was the thing that they were, that they were you know, having people do was uh, – was that a, a trauma comes in and some doctor comes in and something happens. I don't know. I don't even remember what. And um, I remember he, and, and keep in mind, I didn't know him at the time. We are since, we, we, we've since worked a, a crazy amount and, and I have 
the utmost amount of respect for him, and we 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 work together every chance we get. Um, but we didn't know each other, and so he. I remember him coming in, and they gave me the camera, and it's a you know a beta cam, and it's got a big cable on it and whatever. And he's in the other room, and he goes, "Okay, so look, you know, the trauma comes in, and um, and this happens, and they put him on the bed, and he's sort of telling me what I'm what's going to happen." And I remember him looking at me and going, "Now I don't want that ER around the bed thing." And it was just like. <laughs> I remember it as being totally obnoxious. It may not have been, but I remember it as being like totally belittling. And I was just like, all right, why don't you go in the other room and I'll just do what I think is right. And he goes, okay, fine. So we go in the other room and I pulled out a drawer that had some medicine, you know, fake medicines, obviously, but medicines in it. And I put the camera on my hip and I put it out of focus and I sort of half let it point at that and I started going through the drawer. And I remember him, uh, him, calling in and going, so, you know, whenever you're ready, just let us know. And I remember calling out going, I've been ready for a minute. This is the way the shot starts. Because <laughs> if I'm in a hospital and I'm bored, I'm probably either going to be talking up nurses or looking through medications and the thing. <laughs> and he went, oh. So, so then the thing came through the door and I threw it up on my shoulder and zoomed in and did some focus and, you know, just grabbed some pieces, whatever. It yeah. you know, probably wasn't that good, but whatever. But I didn't go around the bed. And, uh, and, then, um, and then I remember him coming in and going, that was great. That's exactly what we need. And I remember saying something to the effect of like, well, if you talk to me first, maybe blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, uh, and I'm guessing none of that happened the way that I recall it, but that's the way I recall it. Um, but uh, anyway, so, so yeah, so he said, all right, so we're going to have you on as one of the camera operators. There'll be like 11 of them or whatever, but, um, but yeah. And, and, and what was great was we then rehearsed you know, I don't know, I'm going to guess for a week with literally like a VHS video camera, this like clunky, okay. you know, Circuit City $100 thing <laughs> where we would just shoot every shot and, and play through it. And Tommy and I actually really, we had a great time and we bonded through that, which was great. So that by the end of the week, we had an understanding of what everybody's camera was doing. Right. right. Um, so, you know, then they bring in these vet veteran camera operators from live TV who, who, you know, were lovely guys, but I think assumed that I would never make the cut because I just had no idea. And, you know, we'd be, we'd be in, in run-throughs in the truck where they're calling out numbers. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, because that you got headsets on and they're calling out, you know, shot three, shot five, camera sure. two, camera one. And I'm like, what is going on? So it took me, I, I screwed up a lot at first and it took me a while to get up to speed. But there were two sort of cameramen, if you will, um, in, the, in the show. And I was one of them. Um, and then just to make things even more insane... At one point, someone had the idea that maybe I should do the on-camera lines of my cameraman. <laughs> okay. And so um, I said, okay. So I learned my lines. And I remember on a weekend, I went over to Tony Edwards' house and we ran lines together for the scene that they, we were going to try. Uh, no, I think actually the scene that I tried was with Laura, but for some reason I went over, I think Tony was just helping me out, yeah. you know, and I remember doing it the first time and he was like, all right, that was horrible, but let me explain why it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, it was kind of that whole thing of like, just be a cameraman and do this. So anyway, so I remember going in and we tried, it was a scene in the elevator with Laura where she's kicking me out. Oh yeah, yeah, remember, yeah. Yeah, and I remember I'm supposed to be doing lines, and I'm trying to do lines, and then over the headsets, they're going, I think you're a little out of focus. I think you got to zoom in. I'm like, and Laura's realizing that someone's talking to me, and I remember all of us were like, this is like the worst idea <laughs> in the history of ideas, and we gave it up pretty quickly, and then there was there was an actor who followed me around who gave all the lines, but that was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we did, we did both episodes, and um, uh, it was just, it, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience, I have to say. And you know, there, there's something about um, 
having a camera on your shoulder and knowing that like half of the United States is watching what you're doing at that moment. That's really, you kind of can't think about it. Um, But it was an amazing experience. And, you know, I mean, you know, like Spielberg was there and all these huge people were there and there's all this, you know, security and blah, blah, blah. But, um, but it was great. I will tell you there, there is, there is one accident that's in there. That's not intended that happened when an intended accident didn't go correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably remember, and if you watch, there's a significant difference between the first East coast feed and the second West right. coast feed in this moment. Um, there is a, a moment about halfway through where my camera hears uh, down the hall, a trauma coming in and I whip around and I, and I, they're coming at me, and it, the idea is that they're coming at me so fast I'm in the way, and they're going, get out of the way, get out of the way, and the camera's supposed to hit the floor. Yeah. So we had practiced a lot with me throwing the camera to the floor, per se, but obviously not doing that. So, sure. to, you know, how much looks too much, how much looks too middle, a little. And I did it on the East Coast feast, feed. On the West Coast feed, I whipped around, and there was an extra there who I actually hit, not hard, but I, I, who shouldn't have been there. And, and it kind of threw me off for a second long enough so that when they were coming down the hall screaming, get out of the way to me, I was actually in the way because I hadn't moved out of the way yet and I wasn't oh backpedaling yet. So I start backpedaling. The guy who's got my, the utility, whose name, I, I apologize, I don't remember, uh, such a long time ago. But anyway, he starts pulling cable because I've got this one inch thick cable coming off me that's got to get out of the way too. And they actually run into me on a level and I, and my oh, heel goes up and I, and I go down to the floor. Now, all this is fine and I hold the camera, you know, it doesn't hit. So I'm like, okay, we're okay because that was supposed to happen. As I start to pull the camera up, I realize that the cable is hooked around the gurney and is being pulled away from me. So they're pulling the camera out of oh my hands. My so I've got the camera by the top handle and I'm literally, and, and there's no monitor on it, I'm literally just pointing it at people, trying to grab this thing, but they're getting away from me as fast as possible, so I can't. And um, I cannot remember one of our usual regular paramedics, and I can see his face. Anyway, if you watch the episode, he's in the foreground on the right, and I cannot remember his name, but there was a moment just before everything, the camera got pulled out of my hands for good, where he looked at me, saw the fear in my eyes, and looked down and realized I was looking at the cable, pulled it off the, uh, the oh corner, dropped it down to the floor. I put it up to my shoulder. We finished the scene, and then it goes and it cuts to commercial. And I remember very specifically, like just basically being in complete shock. And over the headsets, <laughs> Tommy comes in from the truck and he goes. I don't know what you did there, but we are just absolutely amazed at how real that looked. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm not going to talk to you about this now. After we're done, I will explain to you what just happened. But we came very close. And there was nothing to cut away to. That would, it would have been a camera on the floor, and that would have been right. it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, Holy cow. The, the, the irony is that, that it happened at a point where we had where we, where we had designed in a fake mistake. So go figure, right? Wow, man. Yeah. I, I wasn't even there and I'm stressed out. Like I, was, like, I can't even imagine being, I, I, unless I'm mistaken, I think I tell that story probably better. Um, and the extras at the beginning of the season four DVDs, when we had a little panel and we talked about ambush. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, people called it a gimmick and let's face it. It was, but it was, um, it was neat. But yeah, just the, the the balls to even attempt it is is yeah. what's so amazing to me. I mean, when we went through that episode, I mean, we were obviously you know kind of picking it apart mm. piece by piece, and sure. it's it's amazing kind of 
how much you know obviously there's always kind of commotion and chaos in any given episode but the amount that they didn't scale back on if anything they scaled up on in a live environment where mistakes are magnified there's no do-overs you gotta just kind of roll with the punches it would have been so easy i think to just fall back on the gimmick and cut away some of that chaos and cut away some of that to try to safeguard and they didn't they kept it as authentic as possible and, and that's one of the things that I love about the show in general was it was just constantly trying to push boundaries, uh, mm-hmm. whatever they were. And, 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 you know, I mean, it's almost like Monty Python. Like Monty Python would play a joke as long as they could, whether it worked or not, they would stick with it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it didn't work, but they, they stuck with it. And, you know, the same thing. And so, you know, I, yeah, it's um, it was groundbreaking. Let's put it that way. And uh, that was worth it. Definitely. So uh, for your work on that episode, you actually were one of the few uh, individual award winners on the show. Um, What was your experience like having uh, your work recognized on such a a large stage? And actually, I saw a video clip where you actually were on stage with your camera uh, that year. Yeah. um, uh, So that was that was that was a big year for me. Um, uh, Not bad for a 20, 27 year old or whatever I was at that time. Um, Yeah. At the at the real Emmys, uh, you know, the the Emmys where you see the actors and the directors and whatever. um, They actually had me come out on stage and and introduce me and then showed a little video about me and some other camera people. But um, introduced me on stage. And actually, by the way, um, if you go to my website, it's it's the thing that opens my my reel. Um, that little piece, and and it's one of my favorite piece things that most people don't even recognize. But you know, I was I'm a little freaked out because I'm coming out on national TV, and yeah. you know, I'm doing this shot with Tony Edwards. And the second that I walk out on that stage, and Tony Edwards says, "My friend Dave Comites, you can hear Juliana and Eric LaSalle who are in the front row because they were nominated and they're up there as actors, screaming Go Dave' as loud <laughs> as they can. You can hear it on the thing. And I remember it was that moment where I was like, "Oh, it's it's Jules and Eric and Tony. This is this is great. Like is it was easy. such a lovely you know thing." But um, yeah, and and I the only thing I'll correct you is. Um, I wasn't an individual who, who won an Emmy. Um, we won the Emmy as the group of camera operators and technicians who made the thing. So okay. there were literally, there were literally like 14 or 15 of us. Um, uh, and, and as much as I would hate to admit it, if I hadn't shown up that day, someone else would have the Emmy. So I can't really <laughs> take, you know, I was, I was part of something that I'm very proud of. The one thing that I will say is those guys work every year on like the Olympics and the Emmys and the golden globes and the this and that, cause they're like that team. Right. And, and you know, we're sitting there and I'm like, I'm at the Emmys and I, I got my, my now wife, but my then girlfriend. And I'm like, there's no better date than this. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and I didn't even think we were going to win. Um, uh, and I remember I was so excited and they weren't jaded, but they were like, what are you going to do with this one? And he's like, ah, I probably give this one to my sister. She doesn't have one yet. Cause they win like every year for something. I mean, and they uh, were very proud of this cause this was different, but still it was just like, it was pretty funny. I will tell you that I remember very specifically getting woken up at, at like five in the morning by Richard Thorpe, our, our very sort of crusty, lovely uh, director of <laughs> photography. And he's like, Dave. And I'm like, what's, why is Richard Thorpe? Going? He goes, you're nominated for an Emmy. And I was like, I, wait, what? And I, and I was like, what are you, are you, what are you drinking again? What's going on? And he's like, no, the live show, you got nominated, your name's in there. You're going to win an Emmy. And I'm and I, so I didn't even know that that category existed. So it was just like, it was about the best way it could possibly happen, you know? Um, so uh, yeah. And then we went on and, you know, we won an Emmy and it was, uh, it was fantastic. Um, uh it, it, it was, yeah, it, it was pretty cool um, to be, to, and I brought, I remember I brought it, <laughs> I brought it in a, I brought it in a paper bag to work next, the next day, because I was sort of wanted to show people, but I was also sort of embarrassed about it, and they were like, no, I'll put it up here, and everybody's taking pictures with it, it was great, it was, it oh, was really awesome. a lot of, I mean, it, it's an amazing, like I said, that, that, that show just, 
that show was pretty amazing. I'll, t- I'll tell you something about that that uh, that Emmy's appearance with Tony Edwards. So, you know, I, I don't, again, I've been on ER. I, I run the set on ER. I'm, I'm used to having my voice heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know anything about any of this stuff or how it works or whatever. So we go, I don't know, the day before or the weekend before, I can't remember, to just rehearse our part, right? Sure. And so they go, okay, you'll be over here, and here's your cable, and here's your camera, and the Steadicam's there. And so you're going to walk out there, and Tony will come out here, and you'll go around him as he's talking, and then we'll cut in, and you'll push into the, you know, basically what you see there, or somewhat. So we do it, and, and there's, there's someone, I'm on headsets, right? But, but I can also hear there's someone speaking on, a, on like a God box to the whole theater, mm-hmm. one voice that keeps com- coming out. And we do it, and then uh, and then I hear, uh, yeah, okay, so that's it, moving on. And, and I looked out, and I remember very specifically looking out, but all the lights are on you, so you can't see anybody. You can't tell anybody's in there. So, and I, I, I go, excuse me? And and there's like a pause, and I go, I'm sorry, I don't know who I'm talking to, but the person who keeps speaking, are, uh, do you, can I throw something out there? And everything goes quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm too stupid to realize that this probably isn't something to be done. And... Uh, and I hear over the, uh, what? And I said, well, I, don't, I think there's just a better way to do this entrance if you want to see it. I don't know if this means anything or it changes anything or, or whatever. And, and I mean, I, I don't know. Just what, you know, throw it out there. And there's a pause and it's totally quiet. And uh, he goes, uh, yeah, I guess so. Show me what you're thinking. So I go over to Tony and I do what always, I always do. I say, hey, Tony, you know how I'm going here? And you go, yeah, I'm coming this way. You come here and you turn the opposite way. And I think, well, did it? And, oh, yeah, okay. So, so I said, uh, so I go over to the side and I and I pause and I hear, you ready? And I, I lean out from the thing and he and I go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm ready. And, and I hear action or whatever he said. And, and I go out and I do the turn with Tony and it's more or less the same shot, but it's just the directions are changed or something stupid like that. And I stop and I look back up and, you know, I'm blinded. And I said, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, whatever you want, but it just seems like it, it falls in more organically and Tony's a little more at ease with the way he's turning or whatever, you know, something stupid. And there's a pause and he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, let's just go with that. And then <laughs> talking starts and they go on next or whatever. And I remember Tony leaned into me and he, he said, Dave, I don't know that everything works the way the DR works. <laughs> and it suddenly hit me that maybe I'd done something wrong. And I was like, oh my God, did I just screw up? And he goes, no, but I think you came close. Just maybe, maybe just, you know, keep it down a little. I'm like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, yeah, there you go. Oh man. <laughs> I just keep reminding myself as you're, as you're telling me this 27, 27, 27, like, trying yep. to think about what I was doing at 27 and how lit, how ex- much it wasn't being on stage at the Emmys. Yeah, and it, not only am I 27, but I've, I've basically been an A-camera operator for mm, officially maybe two years. Wow. So, yeah, it was a steep learning curve. And, and uh, you know, I would I would say my my ego and my uh, my my um, uh, uh, growing up did not happen probably as fast as my career did. <laughs> not a one for one trajectory. Probably not. So uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit here, but but who were some of your favorite episode directors to work with? Um, you know, obviously being a camera yeah. guy, you're you're working in pretty close contact with them, trying to help bring their vision to life. How did yeah. and how did some of their different styles uh, differ? Um, so, uh, and and I apologize to anyone listening to this if I forget people because there were so many good directors. But but I would be remiss if I didn't start with one of our executive producers, Chris Chulak, who you know, maybe directed, uh, you know, uh, three or four a year or something like that, right. who would just obviously so knew the show and was so good uh, and so 
open to your ideas, but at the same time knew exactly what he was looking for and whether that worked and um, a collaborator and just a storyteller and just everything. Um, he was great. Jonathan Kaplan, who came who mm-hmm. came in maybe season four and became an executive producer, a master storyteller. I mean, I, I've, I, there are not many directors that I've worked with who, who are as as well-versed and intelligent and his demand as much as, as, as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he, he's, by the way, the reason that I, I directed because season four, when he came in, after he got to sort of work with me and see what I do, he was like, so when are you directing? And I was like, that's great. Yeah, good. He's like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like if they don't offer you a chance to direct, you're nuts. And he was like, I'm going to talk to him about it. I mean, he basically was, was the reason, but Jonathan and his body of work is just incredible. Richard Thorpe, our DP would direct and and he was, he was fantastic. I mean, Tony Edwards, um, great. Um, I can't recall Eric LaSalle is to this day a phenomenal friend of mine and an incredible director and storyteller, like incredible. Yeah. And I can't recall if I worked with him there as a director. I worked I with don't him afterwards. Think I don't so. think he directed while I was there. He might have eventually. He did eventually, yeah. He did eventually, but I don't think he did while I was there. But um, I did do a feature with him, and I've done other things with him, and he's just uh, he's on a different level. It's it's incredible. Um, uh, other directors, uh, Charlie Hayde, uh, who played Ranko on Hill Street Blues, was, uh, just great and just like kind of in a weird way, an excellent sort of, and this isn't a negative thing, like a meat and potatoes director, yeah, yeah, yeah. just like, like surgically goes in, gets it and gets us out by, by three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. But, um, um, yeah, I'm sure there are other people I'm forgetting that I'm going to kick myself over, but, um, I'm pretty sure that while I was there, Laura Ennis starting started directing. Yes. And while, yep. Yeah, while it was her first episode, which is always, you know, uh, there's a learning curve. You could tell that she totally knew what she was doing, and she was wonderful to work with, of course. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I, again, there are tons of others I'm forgetting. but um, And their styles, yeah, I don't know how, I mean... Thankfully, the thing that I remember them was all of them just wanted to sort of hand over the ball and say, you, you make it better. You know, I mean, yeah. they were just great. And some people were more hands on, some people more hands off. There are some people who are with newer directors. I would often come on a weekend and, and sometimes even put them in the steady cam because keep in mind, people weren't used to steady cam the way we, we used it. Mm-hmm. And so I would talk them through stuff and explain what we can do and what it does and how we can do it. And, you know. And even on the day, like trying to bridge shots and saying, hey, I think we could do all these three things in one if you want, you know, yeah. or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a great experience on that level, too, because um, not to keep harping on this, but to be that at that point in my career and that young, um, mm-hmm. to be able to work with directors on that level was kind of unheard of. For sure. Uh, yeah. And it was just, yeah, it was just a great experience. Yeah, Robin actually told us this amazing story. Maybe, perhaps maybe you remember it being that you were probably the one behind the camera at the time. Um, there, there was this this episode that Jonathan Kaplan was directing, and uh, the camera broke and was out of commission for several hours, and it put the put the production behind by several hours, and mm-hmm. that he just kicked everybody out and said, you know, go away and come back in ten minutes and in that 10 minutes, he basically took out a schematic of the entire stage, took what was, you know, 15, 20 pages of stuff with different shots and different scenes and different settings and basically turned them into one giant Warner. And when came back in, he was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And she's like, he took what was going to be four hours worth of work and got it done in like 45 minutes. 
And that is Jonathan Kaplan. And I'm sure whatever that shot was, which I don't recall this scenario, but it doesn't, I might've been involved because it's not, it wouldn't stand out to me. Let me put it that yeah, way. Yeah, stand yeah. out, stand out to Robin. Cause she was probably freaking out that they're going <laughs> right. to lose their day. But, um, uh, no, that's, he's, he's a master storyteller and he, he knows what needs, he knows what does, isn't necessary. He knows what's necessary, where the meat is. I mean, he's just, he's, he's an incredible, credible storyteller. So that doesn't surprise me in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned this as well. Uh, you, you got the chance to direct an episode in season five, uh, Double yep. Blind. Uh, yep. What are your memories of that specific episode and how did your perspective have to change as director? Uh, phenomenal experience. I, to this day, I can't believe that I did it. Um, <laughs> uh, again, I think I was 28 when I directed that. Wow. Um, <clears throat> maybe I was 29, I can't remember. Uh, it was an incredible experience. I remember telling... Um, I think John Wells. Oh, by the way, sorry, John Wells. John Wells used to come down and direct occasionally yeah. uh, when I was there. And just, again, I mean, obviously someone who just knows the, <laughs> knows the show and knows the characters and, and just knows, knows how it's all put together and just uh, a joy to work with. Um, uh, but I think I might have said to John Wells, because I think he asked me, I, I, was, I think I was the first crew member to direct, I think, um, and uh, I think he asked me, what, what did you learn or what was different? And I said, I think the biggest thing for me is that, um, is that upstairs, the people upstairs don't understand what we do here. And, and we don't understand what they do there. <laughs> and I said, this was really fascinating to me because it bridged some gaps. And now some of the things that maybe upset me that were happy, you know, that we'd have to wait on or this, or I don't know what, I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, th I think I just understand I understand the other side better. And I said, you know, it would be amazing for everybody up there to come in and spend an entire episode here, not that they could do it and vice versa, because mm -hmm. I think we would all understand each other much more. Um, but uh, it was an incredible experience on on, on kind of every level. Um, I was extremely, extremely, extremely lucky to be able to hand the camera over to uh, my good friend and, and talented steady camera operator, Charles Papper, who's now a talented cinematographer. Um, but, you know, to be able to step out of something that I was so um, natural with and, and could hide behind, I guess is mm -hmm. maybe a good word, um, into sort of a thing where everybody's looking at me and I'm naked and they all know that I don't really know what I'm doing, <laughs> but maybe I know what I'm doing, but they're not sure I know what I'm doing. Yeah. To be able to like not have to worry that the person that I'm handing the reins over to is not going to just elevate everything that I, I do and, and catch the things that I don't catch and go, you know, you're missing this. Oh God. Yes, you're right. Thank you. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was, was, uh, I, I, yeah, uh, completely blessed to have him there. Um, uh, and, you know, working with the actors was amazing. It was really interesting because I knew how great our actors were. I don't, I don't think I realized just how much they bring to everything um, as a, you know, and how little you kind of have to give them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I probably as a first time director and they were absolutely lovely with me, probably drove them nuts because I'm sure I was more involved in their process than I needed to be or should have been. Um, but, um, there were a couple of things where, you know, very specifically I was given, you know, Hey, that was a really good way, you know, to, yeah. to tell that story or whatever. So look, it's a first episode of directing the biggest show in television in history. So, um, I, I cut myself a lot of slack, yeah. but, um, but I'm, I'm exceptionally proud of the work we did there. I, I, I actually also, um, going back to Charles, I, I have to thank him 
immensely specifically for one piece, which is there's the piece where, um, is it Dick Miller who's the guy who's smoking the marijuana? There was a thing where Juliana smokes marijuana yes. and blows it into his mouth. And by the way, that was the first time on national television that it was someone was ever shown smoking a marijuana cigarette. Really? And not that it really is, but obviously sure. a fake marijuana cigarette. So there was a big fight over that. And um, I, I'm assuming, I'd like to think a lot of my high school friends are proud of me for that. <laughs> um, but um, but uh, I... I had envisioned, I could see it in, when when she goes in finally, the, the thing is he's got some sort of end stage cancer and it's the only way he can get relief, but he can't smoke it because he can't inhale it or whatever. So she finally as a nurse goes in and says, my job is to, to you know, help you. And she sort of looks around and pulls the curtains and takes takes a drag and, and blows the smoke into his mouth as he, and it's this really lovely moment, almost like CPR-esque, you know, yeah. of someone. And I, and I had this image of how it should work in my mind, but I couldn't explain it to Charles. Um, and, it, and, and it's distinctly possible that he completely understood it, but I just wasn't, I, I just had to be into it. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I said to him, I, I hate to do this, but do you mind if I do this shot? Because I just know that if I put that steady cam on, I'm gonna know where it goes and I can't, I'm not talented enough as a director <laughs> the words to be are able to explain me. to you and and because you don't see exactly what I'm I've been seeing for a couple of months and he he was he was like no are you kidding me come on jump in so I, I grabbed my vest off the truck and I did that one shot and I remember afterwards he was so great because he watched and and you know he told me afterwards he thought it was great and I said I'm so sorry because you should have done that and he said no that I, I you were absolutely right in doing that and you know a lot of guys I think would have felt threatened by that and he it was fantastic so um uh, and the irony of all of that is I was so, I remember very specifically and to this day, it drives me nuts is I wanted her to turn the lights off so that when she took the drag on the cigarette, it would, the embers would go yeah, yeah. and, and in doing everything and operating, I forgot to tell Richard Thorpe that I wanted it to be dark and it isn't drives me nuts, but what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> still works. Time. Yeah. 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 That, um, that episode actually, I mean, it, it captures one of our, one of the things that we really like about going episode by episode is that we catch little moments that otherwise when you talk about the show kind of in broad strokes maybe get glossed over you know like obviously a couple episodes later after that was um george's exit and that was and and that episode i think uh, the one you directed is kind of the beginning of that mini arc you know it's yeah it's it's the beginning of you realizing that there's something he's done that could be big enough right uh, yeah so yeah so like he's kind of starting to inch his way out the door and you know obviously rightfully so those episodes kind of take precedent when you're looking at it from kind of top down you're you're like oh shit george clooney is leaving the show and um but in that episode there's this moment towards the end where it's just a two shot of george and anthony out in the ambulance bay looking at the snow just having a regular day at work talking and we we remarked at the time when we covered that episode we were like holy shit this is the last time that we're ever going to see these two just having a normal day at work before all hell breaks before loose. all hell yeah. breaks loose and and obviously they have that great moment at the end of the storm where they're um out by the lake and and they you know yep. they george goes off into the sunset but obviously all of that is couched in that kind of drama of all the shit that happens <laughs> over the next few episodes that episode you directed is literally the very last time we just get to see mark and doug as buddies at work and mm-hmm. it's it's one of those little moments that like if if you're not paying attention or if you're not looking at every single episode in it as a individual thing you might miss or you might forget about and that actually means a lot to me because i remember specifically with that scene i wanted to keep that as simple as possible yeah 
um, and, and especially camera wise and whatever. I just wanted to be two guys who were talking and just, you know, one, I, uh, you know, showing that they, that they're there for each other sort of. Um, so that's cool. That's good that that came through. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> nice. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, who are some of your favorite guest stars to have on set and shoot? I mean, the one, the one that comes to mind is Mickey Rooney. Uh, yeah. Mickey Rooney came, came as a scientist and, and not only just, it's like, I mean, you you look at the call sheet and you're like, Mickey Rooney. Oh my God. Like this is, this is Hollywood. This is like, you know, this is the big time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and I remember he came and he was lovely, but the best thing was we, uh, on the day that he was there, you know, we had a late call and when we had late calls, sometimes what they would do is like, let's say we were breaking at 6 PM or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they would hold the commissary open for us because it would be closed by then, you know, the Warner Brothers commissary. But that way we could still get get um, get lunch or dinner, as it were. Um, and so I remember, you know, they said, all right, we're breaking for half an hour. Commissary is open. So people go to the commissary. And I had to, I don't know if I had a phone call or whatever. Uh, so I got there kind of late and I go through and I get my tray and I get some food and I'm walking, you know, see who's sitting wherever. And there's a table there and Mickey Rooney's sitting down by himself. And I remember, I remember I kind of was going to, I was like, I don't want to bother him. And then I walked, I passed him. I said, Mr. Rooney. And he goes, yeah. And I said, do you, would you like some company? And I remember he went, nobody seems to want to sit with me. And I was like, <laughs> I'll sit with you. And so I, you know, here I am, I'm sitting down this, I'm, you know, this stupid kid from Connecticut, uh, sitting down next to uh, Mickey Rooney in, in the Warner Brothers commissary thinking like, I cannot believe this is happening. And I was like, hey, how you doing? What do you think of the show? And whatever. And little by little, people sort of started to pull up chairs, right? And, 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 I, and I think I remember early on, I said, so, I mean, you must, you must know some story. You must have worked on this <laughs> lot before or something like that. And he goes, oh, I could tell you stories. And I, I remember going, would you? <laughs> and, and back then, I don't know if they still have it, but they used to have these framed posters on the wall. I remember one of them was Flying Aces. There were all these framed posters of like 1920s and 1930s movies, okay. you know, with... Cary Grant and, and, you know, uh, like, you know, Howard Hughes movies and, and just, you know, stuff like that. And, um, and he went down and told us stories about like every person he knew on those. He, and he sat there and he told us stories about, I used to live down the street from Charlie Chaplin and he would go up and oh, play wow. tennis with Charlie Chaplin. And I remember very specifically, he was an odd guy. I remember very specifically, he went, uh, you know, and Charlie would sit down and play and I would sit on his organ and he was and, and he stopped and he said, I mean, the musical instrument <laughs> like, oh, Mickey Rooney just told me a dirty joke. All right. Um, and, um, you know, because and then you start realizing like this guy was was the biggest star in the world when Hollywood was just starting. And and he just and, and because of he was so young, he's had longevity. He's been through the whole experience. Right. So he was just story. And by the time we were done, there must have been, you know, 30 people sitting around listening to his, him talk. It was just it was amazing. Wow. Uh, that was one of those. That was one of those wow, um, like I work in the film industry yeah. kind of moments. That was just really cool. Um, other guest stars? I remember, because uh, <laughs> I used to be a big, used to watch the Carol Burnett show with my, my mom and my dad, um, uh, Harvey, Car- uh, Harvey Corman. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, Miss, there was, you know, two of them that were the, the group with Carol Burnett. I can't think of the other guy's name. Um, they were on there. Uh, I can't remember a lot of the guest stars. I feel terrible. It's you know this is twenty five years sure, ago, no, so I apologize to any guest stars. But um, but never really, never really anybody who who wasn't just phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, 
Uh, and then there were some people who did arcs, which were great. Mariska Hargitay, who's now a yeah. huge actress on SVU and a good friend of mine, she did an arc there. And, um, uh, you know, um, uh, Julie Bowman did an arc there. Yep. And um, I, I mean, it's kind of like, obviously, I was only there three years. But if you look through ER, it's 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 one of those things like Law and Order, like everyone came right. through there at some point, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of neat. And it'd be neat, you know, the other thing that I remember very specifically, Mickey Rooney being one of them, was like at the beginning of an episode, like, you know, the pages would come down, the script would come down, and you read the script, and then rumors would start to circulate that someone big was coming in for this part. And then, like, rumors would start to circulate who that was, and then you'd <laughs> finally find out, you know, who that was or whatever. But, um, and then there were the other cool things that have nothing to do with that. Actually, ironically, when I directed, um, Jimmy Carter came to visit. Oh, wow. Because he, he, can't recall exactly i think he presented noah wiley with like a hammer or some weird thing that had something to do with some work that noah wiley had done on some i think river worm in africa you know some fundraising or something sure. like that. so jimmy carter came to set we got to meet jimmy carter um also the um the space shuttle astronauts came with john glenn wow and um and, and i remember which to me I'm, I'm a big like space geek i'm a big geek geek but i'm a big space geek and it's like, oh my God, this is this is like not only a space shuttle ashes, but this is John Glenn, like John Glenn. And I remember actually very specifically, they all spent a bunch of time talking to Charles, of course, because he was with this Steadicam, which of course the engineers would be a very interesting, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, whatever. So you know, they came. I remember George Stephanopoulos came at one point. Um, you know, I mean, just there were interesting people coming all the time. It was fascinating because sure. it was the show, you know. So uh, it was it was great. It was great. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what were your personal emotions like when it came time for you to leave the show uh, right around the end of season five? Yeah, uh, they were, it was tough. It was tough. I'll, I'll, to, to, to explain it, you know, season three, I would have slept there if they hadn't kicked me out. <laughs> um, <laughs> season four, I could not wait to get up and go to work every morning. And season five, I, I started to, you know, I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, I was a young kid still, but I was starting to sort of become... It was starting to become normal, right? And and it was starting to lose some of its, you know, um, some of its ooh, ooh and ah to me. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember thinking, I'll never be this young at this point in my career on something this big again in the rest of, for the rest of my life. Like, maybe I'll get two of those, but I'll never get three of those because I'll never be at, you know, I mean, this, this show made me. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, there was something about, Something, and I, I to this day I'm not quite sure, but there was just something about I don't want to get to the point where I'm six years into this and it's a job to me. It's too special. Right. And and I realized what I was walking away from because I could have stayed on that show for. I mean, I didn't know at the time, but it was seemed like it was going to go for a long time. I could have stayed on that show for another what ten years, yeah. right? And you know, I could have probably retired off of those proceeds. Um, <laughs> But uh, but I just didn't want to I didn't want to pollute it, I guess, was the word. And, and maybe that's naive and maybe it's stupid. And looking back, maybe I made the wrong decision. But I just sort of felt like it was time for me to step aside. Um, Terrence, who'd been the assistant since the first day of the pilot, um, had been, you know, made it very clear that whenever I left, he wanted to take over. And and we actually, um, you know, we would actually spend lunches together, you know, getting him up to speed and then I actually took, um, I think I took a couple of days off before the final episode. And 
he jumped up to operator so that when I left, it was very clear that he had what it took. And, mm-hmm. you know, because I, cause I, I, I felt and I still feel such an affinity for the actors and for the crew and for the show itself. I didn't want I didn't want to a just leave him in a lurch and I didn't want to be not leave it in the hands of family. And, mm-hmm. and it was really important to me. And Terrence knew and everybody knew that, like, look, if he bungled it, they were going to fire him and get someone else in there. But he wasn't going to. But I, I, I appreciated the fact that it was getting handed, handed over to a family member, you know, yeah. who, who, would, who would take care of it. Um, and, and, yeah, I remember very specifically, actually, my last day, it was, um, it was really tough knowing, you know, and films in general are really tough. But that, that family was really... It was some of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life um, working there, uh, work experiences anyway, and some of the best people. And, um, you know, to drive off that lot knowing that even if I see them again, it's never going to be the same. Right. I'm, I'm going to be an outsider. I'm not going to be an insider, you know. Um, that was really hard. And I remember thinking maybe I've made a huge mistake, but I've, you know, someone else someone else has the ball now and it's not mine to take back. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, even thinking about it, it's, it makes me a little sad, but, but, but you can't go back, you know? Right. Um, and, and even then I knew, even if I, I knew I had, to, I, I think I knew I had to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody, I, nobody wanted me to go. I mean, that's, that's the good news. My thing always, you always want to leave while, before you, they want you to leave and while you want to go rather than when you want to stay and they want you to leave. Right. right. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it was just, just such a great group of people. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, to this day, I thoroughly miss them. But, you know, everything evolves and everything moves sure. on and you move on and you evolve. And I was a different person uh, at the end of the fifth year than I was that first day when I drove up and they wouldn't let me on the truck. Oh, yeah. Uh, or, or on the lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's everything comes to an end. For sure. Yeah. yeah. But 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 I, 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 I thank everything that I had those those times when I did because um, it was. It was it was glorious. It yeah. really was. One one of the things I think that makes the show so great and so enduring is is that you know, um, at times the ER itself kind of felt like the main character, and that yeah. the, everything was centered around that. It wasn't about any one specific person, and obviously mm-hmm. that translated to you know, uh, it, it was a show that had a hundred percent cast turnover and managed to survive, and not only survive but thrive. Um, yeah. and it's, you, you sort of felt that in the on-screen, uh, portrayals that it was, like you said, kind of a passing of the ball or passing of the baton onto the next generation and onto the next thing, but the core of it still remained the same. And it's, it's nice to know, or nice to, to know that the, that extended beyond, behind the camera as well, that at the end of the day, what's most important is the ER itself. What's most important is the thing itself, not the individual behind the camera or the individual, you know doing the thing it's that we want this thing to be great and we want to make sure that the next generation kind of takes that baton and runs with it there's there's no question about that there's no question about that and i'll, I'll tell you um uh over the years i've worked with like Gorin and i've worked with john stamos and i've worked with people who are on the show who i never interacted with yeah and when i tell them that i worked on er or whatever we suddenly realize we all know the same stupid jokes <laughs> the same stupid punchlines like there's even behind the scenes there's this through <laughs> You know, yeah, of, yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of which came from our director of photography, then producer, then director, uh, Richard Thorpe, who had these one-liners that were just fantastic. I have a list of them somewhere, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's like there. It was a family. I mean, there's no question For about sure. it. Yeah. 
So uh, after leaving the show, you got to work on a bunch of different shows and films, uh, stuff like Donnie Darko, Jurassic Park 3, The West Wing, Glee, among many others. Uh, What lessons, if any, did you take from your time on ER onto these other large scale productions? I mean, the lessons that I look, first of all, there's just, um, you know, how to run a set as an A camera operator and how to how to work with that, how to work with directors, how to work with actors. Um, uh, I mean, you learn invaluable uh, lessons really quick with things like that. Um, I, um, you know, I went to I went to West Wing and, you know, obviously West Wing has those massive shots. The reason I went to West Wing was Tommy Shalami called me and said, I want to I want you to help me like continue. You know, they'd only done the pilot continue and develop the look of this show because I really want it to be these long walk and talks and this and that and the other. So, um, you know, he, he called me there. And one of the things that I learned very quickly was that most other shows find things to be difficult that we on ER would not have thought twice about. (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of nice. I mean, because what it, what it allows you to do is, is concentrate on, um, you know, it's it's like it's sort of like you know swinging with two bats before you get up to bat. It's mm-hmm. like if you know ER was swinging with two bats all the time, and then they took one away and said, "Go out and do, you know, do normal stuff." Um, so yeah, and then and then of course you know there's the politics and, and everything else that you, you just learn as you go. But um, I would say the big the big thing was just I learned on ER how to every day do things that were very complicated, that were bigger than most people ever even do. And normalize it, yeah. and so you you have all these tricks in the your back, you you know, and, and not to mention, uh, by the time I came into ER, I just knew how to use the Steadicam better than I ever would have if I had never done ER, just because you had to, mm-hmm. uh, just the sheer amount of Steadicam that you did and the, you know, what you did and, and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Sure. So hey, I just I just had a, 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 a I was looking for something on my phone mm-hmm. and I just realized I would be remiss in sort of saying. People like Abe Ben Ruby and Georgia Fox, um, and and uh, and all the nurses whose names are for, uh, I'm I'm forgetting, and and um, uh, uh, now of course I'm going to forget everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and and Gloria Rubin and Juliana yeah. Margulies and and Eric and Tony and 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 George, of course, and um, uh, you know, I mean, over over the years, um, uh, uh, said, John Elward. Um, no Wiley. I mean, just some of the best actors I've ever, ever gotten to work with and just was such a joy to work with every single one of them across the board and not a bad apple in the bunch. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, just because I didn't mention a lot of people before I felt. No, like no, I, I, I yeah, totally. Yeah. And we've, we've actually been lucky enough to talk to a few of them. Um, you know, Abe Ben Ruby, especially sure. comes to mind. We talked to him, uh, just a couple months Abe's ago great. and yeah, one that. of our favorite people we've ever talked to just, yeah on and off the camera like was just so so giving with his time and his stories and everything it was just an incredible guy um so one of the things that we like to do uh when we do one of these is uh turn it over to the fans and let them submit a couple of questions sure. um first of which being uh, and i think i can given the the time you were there i can kind of probably guess what this is the answer is going to be but who was the best prankster or funniest person on set during your time on the show uh, yeah, this is going to shock everybody. Uh, yeah, so George was, uh, look, uh, for what it's worth, everybody was known for their pranks because we had a lot of good times, but George was known for his pranks. Um, uh, there is this stuff that I'm sure you've heard about called Surgilube on the set, which is basically <laughs> a lubricant um, that's kind of greasy and whatever. And, uh, you know, if you look up ER gag reels on YouTube, um, you know, there's a number of them where people in scenes put their 
the phone up to their head and the surgery lube is there and, and whatever. So there was, you know, George would do that, but George would also do, I'm trying to think of things that I can say. <laughs> um, there was a lot of stuff that probably we, we should never talk about, but we, let's just, we had, we had a lot of fun. Um, we, we had a lot of fun and George was really good. I'll tell you, but he wasn't the only one. I mean, it, it went across the, when, when we first, I want to say episode my third or fourth episode there, we were on the Warner Brothers back lot and we were in a parking lot and they'd created this, um, supposed to be winter, and they'd created this huge uh, Christmas tree, um, you know, yeah, yeah. stall or whatever with snow and this and that and the other. It's the first time I'd ever worked with fake snow. So there's a security guard there because it's ER and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, during a break in, in filming, I don't know what they were doing, waiting for an actor or whatever. I decided to step outside of what we were doing to the end of the parking lot to take a picture of the whole thing because it was like fake snow. I said to my parents, hey, we're yeah. making fake snow. This is Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. So I take the picture and then I go and I walk back in and you know I got my camera and um, I walk back up and the security guard goes, I'm sorry, they're filming here. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm cool. I'm with, I'm with the crew. Now, keep in mind, I'm 25. My voice is probably still cracking. <laughs> and um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm wearing a T-shirt and jeans and whatever. And he goes, yeah, yeah, come on, get out of here. And I was like, no, no, seriously, I'm the camera operator. I need to get back in there. And at, as we're doing that, our key grip, Hector Figueroa, who was just like, uh, uh, he was just a character, uh, a character of a character, walks by. And I was like, Hector, Hector, tell, tell him I'm with the crew. <laughs> and Hector looks at me and doesn't even stop. And he goes, I've never seen that kid before in my life. And he goes and walking. And I'm literally almost, and I'm like, Hector. And he finally turns around and he goes, nah, he's new. He's with us. And the guy's like, oh, okay. Uh, but, you know. So um, I'm trying to think, trying to think of other things, but you know, con- there were constantly there's stuff on new people that came in where they did, you know, open something up and think something would come out, or we'd mess around with people all the time. And the crew, we played practical jokes on each other all the time. I mean, it was just a great, yeah, it was it was a great fun set. Yeah. Um, like like I said, there's a number of things I probably couldn't talk about, but um, <laughs> we, it was all in good fun, and we had we had good times. I'll tell you, I don't know why I, uh, this has nothing to do with practical jokes, but just to put it in the time yeah. frame. I, I remember George coming back, I don't know, after Christmas or something like that. And he goes, you guys will not believe what I got from Warner Brothers. And we're like, what? Because, like, you know, they'd get stuff all the time given to him, right? And he goes, it's this thing, and a tray comes out, and you put a CD in it, and you put it in, and it plays a movie. And we're like, okay. And he goes, you can jump around in the movie anywhere you want. And we're like, no. No, you cannot. It's not a CD. No, he goes. No, it's not called a CDD. It's called a something else. But but literally, you can like go anywhere in the movie. We're like, okay, you know, that's funny. It doesn't exist. And he's like, no. See, and I remember, I remember him telling us it was like, you know, you can't see. It's like, you know, sure. three feet wide by ten feet high or whatever. But it just sort of puts puts it into perspective. Yeah. Of, uh, Holy shit! Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the other the other part of it is like. You know, there were no cell phones back then, yeah. so all we had to do to keep keep each other occupied was to like you know mess with each other. Yeah. So, so that's what we did. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of funny yeah. again as we're going through you know uh, episode by episode and season by season. It's it's funny to watch those kind of things kind of creep in from what's happening in the real world. You know, the the first time a cell phone pops up, the first time, and, and usually when it does pop up, it's this like monstrous thing that's like you know the size i think i think there's an episode one where where uh, uh noah wiley is using one and, and it's literally the size of his head and it's it's yep. incredible um <clears throat> yep but yeah it's just it's funny to kind of mark the, the passage of time by the technology that's showing up on i i swear at least in those first couple seasons they were getting some kind of money from nintendo because it seemed like a nintendo thing was popping up every other episode there was really? there was a super okay. nintendo or they're playing mortal Kombat, or there's just something going on with oh, nintendo every other episode um, oh, there you go. 
But uh, other fan question was, uh, who who or what was your inspiration for becoming a Steadicam operator? Well, I mean, I guess I guess kind of the inspiration would would have to go to this guy uh, Bob Fisk, who uh, who created right. the Steadicam. I told you the uh, Steadicam knockoff. Um, you know, he was the first time I had ever seen it. So let's put it that way. I guess I could have seen someone else, and that would have been them, but that was him. Right. Um, and I was already an operator, but you know, Guy B's work honestly just just blew me away. And then you know, I mean, it, I'd be remiss to not say. Uh, I mean, this is all a cop out, but Garrett Brown, <laughs> um, watching Larry McConkey's work, and and I mean, you know, the, the, these these people, uh, there were shots that that we used to have on videotape and watch over and over again, who were just like gods to us, because yeah. they were doing things that nobody could have even fathomed before. I mean, Larry McConkey's shot in Goodfellas is just to this day, it's astonishing. Incredible, yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, so all, all those guys, I just wanted to be a filmmaker. I didn't really know I wanted to be a steady cam operator until it fell in my lap. Yeah. Um, and, uh, thank God it did. But, um, uh, yeah, so I would say, you know, it's, it's a, it's a multi-pronged attack, if you will. <laughs> For sure. If I was forced to pick just one person though, I really think it would be a steady cam operator named Bob Crone. Uh, when I took the steady cam course that I mentioned earlier in the 1990s, Bob was the um, was the lead instructor, and uh, he was probably in his 60s, and I'm going to guess he'd been doing Steadicam for 20 or 30 years. He was like one of the original batch of Steadicam operators. And I remember, you know, the, the course was in up in uh, Malibu, and you, you stayed there for a week, so you sort of, you know, everything was Steadicam. And uh, I remember he never put the rig on, and we always sort of wondered whether maybe he was past his prime. But then when he went to go show us the final shot that we were supposed to do, he, he demonstrated himself, and actually to this day, um, I've never seen anybody move quite like that. It was really incredible how talented he was. Um, but he was this like just really quiet, amazing guy and, and had this great, you know, ethos about Steadicam. And, uh, you know, after we were all done with the, with the course and, and learning what we learned and whatnot, he, he sat us down for one final thing where he sort of gave us the nuts and bolts of, of, you know, business and how to conduct ourselves and different things like that. And he told us something that, that really stuck with me that if anything has, has, I would like to think has guided me through um, uh, my career and 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 probably helped make uh, me do the work that I did at ER on the level that I did. Um, and it was that you know the I remember he said the irony of what we do is that if we've done it well, nobody will re- ever recognize that we did it in the first place. And, and what he was trying to say was you know uh, how you conduct yourself on set and also also how you how you operate is you you, you operate you know in a way that that serves the story and serves the the picture that you're working on. And, and it's not about the shot, it's about the larger picture and uh, sort of seamlessly fitting in. And I always thought that that was a really amazing thing to try to strive for. I don't know that I always um, accomplished it, but, but the point of what we all try to do is try to do it in such a way that it just sort of seamlessly fits in and works. So yeah, I think he'd be, if I had to pick one, it'd, it'd probably be Bob. So uh, are you working on any projects currently and how can fans keep up with your work outside of ER? Uh, so my website is just my name, www.davecomites.com. And, uh, I don't update it that often, but there, there is stuff on there. Obviously IMDB is, uh, you know, where everything is. Um, uh, the last thing I worked on was, uh, I worked on all last season, which is really being released as two seasons of Ozark. Okay. Uh, which I think comes out maybe next week is the first season four and then season five. So that was, that was good. And before that I worked on, uh, I did the harder they fall, which is, uh, on Netflix right now, the big Western. 
um, and uh, some other things in the works, but nothing that I'm certain about right now. But you know, I try to keep busy, and um, I've been really lucky to work on uh, a lot of really good projects over the years. But IMDb is probably the the best place to to do it. But if you you know, there's samples of my work on my reel, obviously as well. Yeah, I actually um, I actually watched yeah. your reel as I was writing the the questions for today, and it was one oh. of my it was one of the coolest things like to watch. I, I really love the way it's cut together. I love the the music choice. Oh, like, cool! Everything. Yeah. Thank I you. Love it so much. It's funny because uh, uh, newer operators, one of the things that I tell them is, look, nobody cares about your reel past 30 seconds. The reality is they they watch it for 30 seconds and they make a decision. And they're, they're, then my reel's like, what, seven minutes long or something like that? Because I just wanted to put everything but in it's there. So, but it's so like, I don't know, like not to like blow sunshine up your butt, but like it, it's so like um, immersive and like, it, I don't know, like I, I had this like really emotional reaction to it where I was like, holy shit, like wow. this guy is like if you watch a movie obviously you know you watch a movie you maybe form an emotional connection to it but like you're like the ultimate movie watcher like you have you know <laughs> you have watched more movies than anybody probably you people like you you know camera operators yeah. you guys have yeah, seen sure, more sure. movies than anybody and have probably you know been present in the moment for some of these incredible moments like goodfellas and like other things that like it's... you may not know it in the moment necessarily but these are things that are going to stick with people for generations yeah, look, I, I, I one of the things that I tell people that that is just and it's not it doesn't happen all the time. Obviously, you know, sometimes you're just as George would say, sometimes you're just delivering the pizza. <laughs> but um, there there are occasions where back when there was film and I used to have my eye up the eyepiece, where I'd be watching something and it was just like, oh my god, I have a front seat to this yeah. to this performance. Um, uh, you know, West Wing was one of those situations because that group of actors was just. Uh, it was on par with, uh, you know, on par with none. It's, it's, it's just, they were such an amazing uh, group of actors and to be able to sit and watch them perform yeah. and, and chew up scenes, you know, and, and work together and off of each other. It was, it was, it was inspirational. Uh, no question about it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I'm glad, glad you liked the reel. Thank you very yeah. much. That's very kind of you. Uh, then one final question that we ask uh, everybody we've talked to from the show. Um, what do you think it's important for fans of ER to know about it from your unique perspective? In other words, when you think back on your time on the show, what would you want fans to know about the experience that wouldn't necessarily be clear just from watching? Well, it absolutely wouldn't be clear from watching. and There's no way a fan would ever know this. But I like to think that maybe it translates through to the work. Um, is it just... It's a lovely group of people, and it was a family. I mean, uh, when I was there, there's just everybody. It was a family, and uh, you know, the the actors, um, most of them, went from being total nobodies to overnight having this just uh, something they never could have ever expected, right. right? And so, in a weird way, the set was kind of you know this little inner sanctum for them, where they could be they could be themselves, and they weren't worried about you know, people taking pictures and people reporting what they're doing. And so in a weird way, like it became home, you know, a, a little bit to some of them. And, um, you know, that's why right outside of stage 11 in front of Tony's uh, uh, trailer, we had a basketball hoop. Yeah, yeah. We played basketball there all the time. And, you know, and, and also, yeah, it was a family, you know, look, sure, there's a hierarchy, right? Right. But, um, but, but in many ways, we were all, we were all, we were all the same on some level. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Clooney used to have people over his house to play basketball and Tony Edwards had a place in I think like some log cabin in like Reno that he used <laughs> to let people to go to and there was one point where I needed a I needed a tuxedo and Eric LaSalle told me to come over to his house and just went there 12 tuxedos over there pick one because they give them to me for free and wow. you know I mean it's just like just just 
you know, most people look at that as perks, and I look at that as just like, no, they don't have to do that. You know, these are just these are just decent people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, you know, I, th- I, I I've been on shows with really good people, but usually there's someone who doesn't fit the mold or someone who's just doing it because they're supposed to. But um, it was just it was just a really there's a lot of love in that in that. I mean, it might sound sound sappy and whatever, and maybe I'm getting all all <laughs> nostalgic, but um, it was just it was just coming to work every morning was like coming and, and seeing family, you know, and and just like any family, like you were like, God, I hate you, and you drive me nuts <laughs> and whatever. But th- then at the end of the day, you know, you're hugging each other, and um, you know, um, and and you know, many of those actors and many of the crew are still very good friends of mine, um, who over the years I've kept in touch with and. When we've gotten to work together again, it's just it's just phenomenal, and and um, uh, you know it's and you know sort of seeing each other's families grow up and and kids and all that stuff. I remember when Tony Edwards used to bring his kids who were like you know three feet high and run around set, and now I think they're out of college and whatnot. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was a truly it was just an exceptional experience and a complete honor to be a part of that. I had no idea what I was being thrown into, um, and uh, I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't actually gotten that experience because um, I certainly wouldn't be here, I don't think. I don't think I'd be anywhere near um, as successful as I've been Mm -hmm. because the frank reality is I've been skating off ER ever since. (laughs) You know, 25 years later, people are like, didn't you work on ER? And I'm like, yes, you should hire me because of that. You should hire me because of the work I did 25 years ago. Um, But uh, yeah, really, um, really just, uh, and and again, as I said earlier, also to follow on the heels of greatness, to walk into Guy B's shoes, um, which we make jokes about because I'm 6'4 and Guy B's like (laughs) 5'7 or something like that. Um, Or or more importantly, Guy B's uh, rock and roll pants that he used to wear. Uh, um, You know, it was just like awe-inspiring and incredible and and really such an honor to be given that mantle to have to carry. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that helps anybody. They're not going to see any of that specifically, but it was just, it it was an incredible place to to grow up, as it were, um, which is kind of what professionally I think I did. Thank you.